electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people, my friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, put it all in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Nothing drives people out of a market faster than naked manipulation. Especially when the people who run the business are doing the manipulating. Now, I know tonight we have a show on the network that talks about the meme craze and how much money was made and lost fooling around with stocks that were run and gunned. That was total manipulation. It's ridiculous how people get away with this stuff. Great documentary. But after a sedate day where the averages, Dallas inched up 10 points, S&P advanced 0.24%, NASDAQ came 0.36%. I want to talk about a different kind of manipulation. The kind we saw in March, when a group of short sellers did everything they could to to promote fear, creating an atmosphere where many of you felt compelled to sell, sell, sell stocks near their lows. They all got away with it. Then I need to talk about crypto, because there's clearly still a lot of money to be lost here before the whole sad, unregulated chapter comes to an end. Although I think the end is definitely coming now that the SEC is cracking down on the stuff. The SEC actually just filed a motion for restraining order to freeze Binance's assets. That's gigantic. Until this, they've been getting away with it. Why? Not enough outrage. Not uh, enough, let's say, supervision. That's over with. I'm going to go over all this manipulation because I don't want you to get ripped off in the future. I want you to be able to protect yourself from scams that are designed to fake you out, part you from your money. I view this as actually my job now, because how can we make money together if you're just going to lose it in these scams and schemes? So why don't we start with the banking mini crisis that failed Silvergate, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and only First Republic. Each had its own reason to go under. Though it didn't get as much attention as it should have at the time, the first bank to go under was Silvergate. We don't even know the circumstances of Silvergate, frankly, except it tried to be the official bank of all things crypto. And Binance, one of the big crypto exchanges, had been withdrawing tons of money. Stressing the balance sheet. They were interrelated. Silvergate never really recovered once crypto enterprises started imploding. Why? Because Sam Bankman-Fried was the, let's say, only the first of many. 
Maybe it seemed like a good idea to be the crypto bank two years ago, but not now. Next came Silicon Valley Bank, whose failure started the mini banking crisis in earnest. SVB had a bond portfolio that was underwater, and a few mean-spirited venture capitalists pulled their money out at once, then went vocal on Twitter to sink the bank. It worked because the deposit space was so highly concentrated, making it very easy to spark a run. One that claimed another crypto link bank. That one was called Signature Bank. That was just a few days later. Silicon Valley Bank didn't really have to go under, though. There were buyers, but the run happened too quickly. Finally, there was the collapse of First Republic, more of a slow-motion bank run. Rich depositors fled for safer institutions. Not enough FDIC protection. This one got bought by J.P. Morgan after its collapse. What matters, though, is what happened in the wake of these bank failures. We had a concentrated effort to bring down the entire regional banking system, led chiefly by short sellers, meaning all over the KRE. That's the regional bank ETF. Now, I know it sounds apocryphal, but the stocks of New York Community Bank Corp., M&T Bank Corp., Regions, Truist, Huntington, Citizens, and several other regional banks were absolutely crushed by the shorts, by hedge funds cleaning down and making money. It was actually child's play for the shorts. They made tons of money. Sadly, they also vanquished the regional bank shareholders, and they're all going to make it much harder for credit to come by, uh, even as they enrich their wealthy clients doing so. Why don't people talk about this? I have no idea. I've been around for a long time. I know that's what happened. It shouldn't have happened. I'm against it. Two financials bore the brunt of it. PacWest Bancorp, which traded down to $2.48 in the beginning of May, and Schwab, which traded $45 and changed around the same time. We heard that both of these were broken institutions. Now, when you hear about these stocks going down, you realize why it's so hard for banks to defend themselves. PacWest now back up to eight bucks. When times were still bad, you couldn't have, ha- have a day where people told you that it was going to make it. Everyone said it was, go- it was going to fail. In the meantime, Schwab's one of the most solvent brokerage firms out there. It just happened to own a small bank with a not-so-hot bond portfolio. It was trash day after day. Then that insult to injury, First Horizon, you've seen them before, an excellent bank, got a takeover bid from Toronto Dominion last year. TD was willing to pay more than $13 billion for the institution. Because of some unspecified regulatory issues, the deal was blocked, and First Horizon stock, which had already slid from the mid-20s to the mid-teens as the deal languished, plummeted from 15 to 10, single session. Today, First Horizon held an analyst meeting, which showed the franchise worth a great deal. And the stock's rebounded to 11 and change. It's still well below where it should be, though. So what ended the bearish manipulation that was a not-so-veiled attempt to get regulators to shut down these banks and profit from them? I think it's simple. It's becoming clear that we're not going into recession, at least not a bad one, which makes it really hard to knock out these decent banks. This morning, Goldman Sachs lowered its judgmental probability that the U.S. economy will enter a recession in the next 12 months from 35% to 25%. That really resonated throughout the entire market. Uh, it, and that, that was where it was before the Silicon Valley bank clubs. At the same time, the ones that are struggling now seem perfectly capable of raising money. That's what matters, lifeblood. Now, if that's the case and the financials can come back to life, I have an idea for you. I would go buy the stock of Morgan Stanley, which is still trading where it was during the mini crisis. My travel trust owns it. We told club members very vociferously today that the stock should be higher, maybe much higher. You should buy it. But more importantly, if you're going to own the banks, please remember how easy it is for the short sellers to rumor stocks down and how hard it was for them to find their footing. Now, that said, if you want real market manipulation, oh, I got it for you. You just need to read the SEC's briefs filed against Binance yesterday in Coinbase this very morning. The Binance brief basically says the crypto exchange is just like that, just like FTX, Sam Bankman Freed's bogus outfit. There are no controls to speak of, according to the SEC, and funds are all commingled all the time, again, just like the FTX. I have no idea why anyone would still keep their money with these guys, who are also being charged for generating a lot of trades that make them look like a real outfit, which they're not. 
There was so much appalling stuff in this brief, but I want to call your attention to what I consider uh, to be all the counterfeit coins that are still traded. Solana, created by Solana Labs. ADA, native token of Cardano. Matic, uh, native token of Polygon. FIL, the native crypto asset of the Philcon Network. Atom, the native crypto asset of the Cosmos Hub. SAN, created on the SAN Ethereum blockchain. MANA, minted by Decentraland. ALGO, the native token of the Algorand blockchain. Axie Infinity Shards, another Ethereum token. Cody, a native of the Cody blockchain. These are all poppycock. If you're in them, you're a fool. You're just a fool. After reading this brief, I think that all these coins are more or less counterfeit. And I said so to Chairman Gensler this very morning. Why bother to mention them? Because unlike the banks, these crypto assets all seem to be scams. And I want you out of them. Many of you traffic in them every day. You should. You're wrong. Gensler describes Binance as the Wild West. I wish someone would have told the people messing with crypto that in the Wild West it's possible to lose everything because there's no regulation. Don't believe me? I want you to think about this quote from the Binance chief compliance officer who bluntly admitted to another Binance employee that and it involves a curse word that I'm not going to say, quote, we are operating as a ing, unlicensed securities exchange in the USA, bro, end quote, really captures the spirit of the enterprise, bro. How can anybody even consider keeping their money with this kind of exchange? It's just a, it's almost a comedy. They can't possibly keep staying one step ahead of the regulatory policy. But maybe you let them. Maybe you're foolish enough to give them the money. Maybe it's your fault. Ever think of that? Maybe it's your fault. Coinbase is a little different. No outright fraud, just no registration as broker-dealer, which the SEC says has led to ill-gotten gains. Ill-gotten gains, that's bad too. Now, what do you do if you're involved with these kinds of alphas? The same thing you should have done with the SPACs or the IPOs that were bad or the meme stocks a year and a half ago. Get out now. Go buy T-bills. I'm not kidding. Just do that. If I could have stopped you from buying all the SPACs, I would have done my best. I can stop you maybe from doing this, or at least I can try. Bottom line, sometimes you get stocks that are manipulated lower, like the regional banks. Then you get the assets that are manipulated higher on bogus exchanges, like a huge chunk of the crypto ecosystem. Both are in the front. Both are going to get, I, I mean, you're never going to get any credence on mad money when you do this stuff to our viewers. I am after you, and I'm not done. I'm getting started. Joe in Oklahoma, Joe. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Joe. What's up? Hey, so I started out a year ago as a firm believer in Jim Farley and Ford. Over the last year, my confidence has started to wane. What should I do with Ford? Is it a I don't blame you that your confidence is waning because every time, because they have so, so many recalls, um, the stock should never have gotten where it did. That's a shame that it did. Uh, I was a part of it. I thought I sold some at a higher level for my travel trust. I bought it back. The stock is starting that better. I think that they're going to do $6 billion in cash flow. The street thinks they're going to do $2 billion in cash flow. Let's stick with Jim Farley. I think he knows what he's doing. Let's go to Zach in Pennsylvania. Zach. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from Eagles Nation. How are you? Man, the Eagles Nation is looking real good. How about you? I'm doing great. So I've been seeing a lot of storage units go up in my area. I know with a lot of people renting or using them now. This stock has a $3 dividend every quarter. I've added to the position. I want to add more and hold it for 20 years. Is public storage a 20-year hold? You got horse sense. That thing is a terrific situation. I can't believe it's down this much. I very rarely ever see it not as uh, higher than the stock market. I say, Charlie and I with Charlie. Okay. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Charlie. What's up? I'm a longtime viewer, but a first-time caller. All right. Good to have (laughs) you on the show. I've owned Qualcomm for a long time, 
but I don't know what the future holds for it. Well, I do. You know, I think it's time sell, to sell, sell Qualcomm. Sell, 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 I think sell, sell, the stock's sneaking up nice. Sell, sell, That's sell, a good sell. place to get rid of it. Uh, it hurt me very bad with my Chapel Trust. Why? Because continually that let me down. Now, why did that happen? Because they didn't do well. Now, you know what? It could be my fault. I picked a stock that didn't do well. But you know what? They're, they're a little complicit, too. All right, so what do you do if you're involved with uh, these kinds of crypto outfits? The same thing that you should have done with the SPACs or the bad IPOs or the meme stocks a year and a half ago. It's time to get out. I mean, buddy, tonight, close viewers know we've been focused on the home builders, but what about the building products companies? I'm checking in with ASIC after today's move higher. See if this thing could be worth building and positioning. Hey, then it's Del Taco Tuesday. I'm checking in with its owner, West Coast based Jack in the Box, to see if it might be worth nibbling at the stock. And the last 48 hours have been major for the SEC and crypto, so I'm going straight to the source to really wrap our heads around this situation. Do not miss my exclusive with former CFTC Chairman Tim Masson. You won't believe it. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We know the home builders have been counterintuitive winners since last fall. 
largely because the Federal Reserve can't seem to send long-term interest rates higher. And that's what matters for mortgages. So the home builders have done great. But what about the building products companies? Take Azek. That's the maker of composite material products that are used as an alternative to wood. Lots of terrific decking that requires infinitely less maintenance. Here's a stock that's run up 77% from its all-time lows last, set last November when everybody was somewhat worried about housing. Makes sense that ASIC's been running, though, as the company's turned in an excellent quarter a month ago. So can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Jesse Singh. He's the president and CEO of ASIC. Get a better read on the situation. Mr. Singh, welcome back to Mid Money. Great to be here, Jim. Thank you. Uh, so, Jesse, you know I understand the value proposition. I've used it twice. And it's twofold for me. One is that it lasts longer, but two, I also like the environmental aspect of it. So I'm going to give you the floor to explain why this is such a good thing for people to buy. Great. Thanks, Jim. So if you just step back and look at the company, we've got two main businesses, exteriors, which is trim through our ASAC brand and decking through our TimberTech brand. And what you have in front of you here is our TimberTech product. So the first part of the value proposition uh, for any consumer is our product has to look natural. Consumers, when they build an outdoor living space, want products that look like wood, feel like wood, and are really indistinguishable. I think the second element that you talked about is these products uh, will look the same for 50 years. Right. And so there's no need to paint, uh, uh, stain, maintain it. And I think the third element that you talked about is they are primarily made out of recycled products. And so, you know, we have two different product lines. One product line is made out of basically recycled polyethylene. And, and I think the key for what you can do with decking is you can use really low value plastics, stuff that is typically landfilled. And, and you know, you don't normally have folks on your set that are giving you a little pile of garbage here that, that's normally in the landfill. We can take this product, process it, mix it with wood, and put it in the middle of a deck board to create you know, really something beautiful that's going to last. And similarly, we do the same thing with PVC. We are unique in that we take post-industrial PVC, post-construction PVC. Think of old siding, credit card punches, all of that, and we similarly process that and put it within our deck boards. Now, within the last year, you've had uh, some rough times. I mean, commercial, not doing... Uh, as well as residential. I don't understand that. Explain why that is. Yeah, so we have two segments. Uh, 90% give or take of our business is residential. And we also have a commercial business which is really exposed to uh, general industrial. And so as you look at the company, uh, really in the fall of last year, on the residential side, we went through an inventory correction. Um, and we're in great shape, and now we can grow with the market. We had a lag on that on our commercial business, so we will sell products in that uh, small part of our business into things like semi-cap and uh, marine and those sorts of businesses. And so we had a bit of a headwind, and we have a headwind till the end of the fiscal year as we unwind the inventory of that channel. Once the inventory's down, it'll return to more normalized growth But in the rates. meantime, residential, I mean, it's, it's doing it's well. It's really good. Now, one of the things I think people have to understand, and they get confused, we're not saying necessarily that this is versus lumber. What we're saying is versus how many times you have to do lumber. That's what I discovered. Absolutely. I, I think one of, the, uh, one of the things to think about, lumber in general has come way back. And, um, you know, for us in any deck, uh, lumber is a key part of the construction of that deck. So as lumber comes back, 
and other outdoor living right. uh, um, uh, repair and remodel. So as lumber comes back, it actually makes the projects more affordable. And, you know, we're only about 20 percent to 40 percent of the cost of a deck. The rest is lumber and labor. Right. And uh, so we're really well positioned to actually become more cost effective, be a more um, a cost efficient solution to build an outdoor um, space because of the pullback in lumber. Well, I have found that this this has properties that can be used for more than just decking for for putting a, a siding on a house. But I, I would like it as a replacement for wood for my furniture, which I, every three years, very expensive wood, I throw away. Uh, possibility? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we, uh, we just launched a, uh, a line of, uh, of new furniture, a very modern look. It might even appeal to yourself and, and your family uh, that has the same durability and uh, same opportunity. And I, I think one of the things that distinguishes us in the marketplace is we are not only decking. That's uh, deck uh, right. and pergolas and other outdoor living spaces, but we also have an exteriors business that replaces wood with recycled materials in all aspects of the house. And if you look at our market opportunity in general, the vast majority of the markets that we play in are wood, and that presents a lot of adjacent opportunities. Okay, so I found mine, uh, unbeknownst to you, uh, from my, uh, the guy who said, listen, uh, I want to read you your deck, and I don't want you to use wood. Do people find you through Home Depot? Do they find you through their contractor? How do they find ASIC? Yeah, it's really a, a combination of, of all of the above. You will find TimberTech in uh, the retailers. You will find TimberTech in um, all of the pro lumber yards. Right. Uh, we've got a 200-person sales force that is engaging contractors, working with architects. And we've got a very aggressive consumer campaign uh, where we will send samples to your house. These are actually examples of samples that we, uh, we will send to consumers' houses. And, and so for us um, uh, to win in the market in a broad base, we've got to really engage everybody, both the consumer, the contractor, and the channel to make sure that we're delivering the right kinds of products. All right, one last thing we knew we saw you last. There was some overhang uh, from private equity. Looks like they're almost gone. Now you're talking about doing a buyback in the second half of the year. Yes. Uh, in, in, uh, in the last year or so, we've announced a, uh, a $400 million uh, buyback. Big, big first floor uh, company. We, we really focused, uh, in particular, the last quarter on turning our inventory into cash. So we've drawn down our own internal inventory, that's unlocked uh, a lot of cash. And as we move through the back half of the year, there's a great opportunity to use that to continue to buy back our shares. Well, the story's better than ever, and uh, the material's really sensational. Thank you so much. That's Jesse Sings, the president and CEO of ASIC. And yes, I'm a satisfied customer, but not because of Jesse, because of who I do know, but because my contractor he said, this is what we use. Everybody's back here for the break. Coming up, a good meal and a good deal? Get fast-focused on fast food when Jack in the Box joins Kramer next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind. 
just like Hacker has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The restaurant stocks have been a little hit or miss lately because while most of them are putting up good numbers now, Wall Street increasingly worried about how they'll hold up as the economy gets slower and slower. Hey, but some of them have just been on a roll like Jack in the Box. That's the burger chain that also owns Del Taco. Two terrific brands, two of my favorites. A couple weeks ago, Jack in the Box reported some terrific results, including a monster 25-cent earnings beat off a $1.22 basis. That's one reason the stock's up big for the year. Well, it's pulled back hard from its recent highs in May. It could be the opportunity. So uh, what do you think? How will it hold up and slow down? Let's check in with Darren Harris. He's the CEO of Jack in the Box. Find out. Mr. Harris, welcome to Mad Bunny. Hey, it's great to be here, Jim. Boy, I got to tell you something, Darren. You have maybe the best same-store sales numbers year over year. How's that happen? You know, we've put in place over the last couple of years a great team that's been focused on our strategy, which is build brand loyalty. It's, you know, focused on driving ops excellence, focused on, you know, um, growing restaurant profits, and then eventually getting the chance to expand Jack across the country. So same-store sales is really about focusing on our consumer and giving them products they need when they want them. Now, sometimes I feel, because I happen to live in California at one point, but that you are the biggest 2200 restaurant jack-in-the-box chain that nobody's ever heard of. How is that possible? We're actually, we're a huge burger chain. That's, we sell a lot of tacos. Now, Del Taco, I thought was a great acquisition. Yeah. Uh, you're now up starting to move them together in different states. Is that the plan, is to kind of uh, go from, say, 21, 22 states to 40? Yeah, absolutely. We'd like to take both brands and fully penetrate the markets we're in and then grow them across the country. And so in the next 10 years, I'd love to see Jack in the Box and Del Taco on all 50 states. Now, you had good luck in terms of cost of labor, but food costs still going up for you. Food costs are still going up as we manage inflation. And so we also have to take price along with it. But we also have to innovate. We have to look for opportunities like robotics or AI. You know, we're testing Presto in the drive-thru, which obviously drives same-store sales with, with, with uh, you know, add-on orders and uh, makes our labor model better. Now, what I was trying to understand is this notion of value and premium in the same, under the same roof. Yeah. But no one's been able to do that successfully. So we have to balance it, right? We have to give the consumer what they want. So we have premium items that we promote, but we also balance it with add-on items that are value so we can speak to both sides of the consumer proposition. Is there room? Uh, is it easy to find land? Is it easy to find places to grow? Oh, it's always challenging. But when you have a brand that people love, you can find opportunities across the country for growth. Now, you do, you do some clever things. I mean, I was looking at this. Uh, a St. Patrick's Day promote, uh, Mint Mobile. Are you going to do, like, each holiday? I mean, how, does that get you yeah. some publicity? What does it do? Yeah, we call that our craved marketing strategy. Always craved. Looking, craved. Always looking for cultural moments that we can step in and promote the brand. So whether it's Halloween and our monster tacos or this mint mobile shake around St. Patty's Day, we look for those opportunities to promote ourselves. All right. So tell me about Del Taco. It's got very uh, the, the you don't have the same store sales there, but it's an historic brand, inexpensive, good food. Uh, can you is three percent growth enough for you in same store sales? 
So we have plenty of opportunity to market the brand and get awareness. So more, more locations around the country, the same thing we want for Jack and Box, will also help same store sales. Now, you're moving into uh, some places, I don't know, I mean, Salt Lake City, Montana. Is it, wouldn't it be better to come east to New York or you know, let us see it? Hey, well, the most requested um, brand um, that, or most state, the state that requested our brand the most was Salt Lake City or Salt Lake. Um, and so Utah. And so we had to make ourselves available there because our consumers wanted us. And so we look around the country, we look for where is there opportunity for consumers who know our brand right. and love our brand. And that's where we go. You are doing something that I wish more American companies would do. They don't understand Mexico. You're moving into Mexico. You say it's a good market. Why? So one, we have a great operator. It starts with operations. We have to have the ability to do it. And we also have the ability to get access there with product first. And once we get there, then we understand the consumer demographics, and they love Jack in the Box. Some of our best-performing restaurants are on the border from El Paso to Yuma, Arizona. So we already had insight that this would be a great market for us. All right, we're going to go back to AI. I know that Wendy's is trying, when you get to the window, you, you can order, and the, the AI speaks 27 languages, doesn't screw it absolutely. up, saves a person. Are you trying it to? We absolutely have it. We have it at Del Taco. We have voice uh, AI activated. It's tremendous. Um, it takes about 85% of the orders in the locations we have it, and we're testing it. And so we're, ex- we're expanding that test now to more locations at Del Taco and eventually Jack in the Box. Does it make mistakes or does it work? It works. It works. And it actually does a better job than a human in upselling. So we know it drives revenue we, as well. This must be terrific for gross margins. Absolutely. absolutely. Why is everyone else so tepid about it? So it takes time. It takes time to build a kind of recognition. It also is the you lack the human experience. So we have to balance between how do we engage the human experience with the robot. How is it, though? I mean, if I were to go up, I mean, is it like I've tried to fool it many times. You have it. It works every time. I tested. I've not fooled it yet. Why are you so far ahead of everybody else? What is it about you that it's not willing to to take risks? So part of the core of uh, Jack in the Box and Del Tacos is challenger mindset and innovate. And Jack in the Box has always been known for that. How do we innovate and grow? And we're now at that stage where the team has put in place a great strategy and are delivering on the results, and growth is next. Uh, where do you see yourself within the industry in terms of, uh, like, people don't know you that well. I mean, they know Burger King, you know, they know, they know restaurant brands. They, they know Yum. They know McDonald's. Uh, they should know you. Yeah. It's, it's some of it is scale. We have great brands that consumers love. Now we just need to scale it across the country. And trying to get a franchise? How, can, can I just go get one? I go apply? You could if you have restaurant experience with you, along with the, the financial capability. And so we're always looking for great franchisees who are interested in helping well, us grow. Well, I have to say, I've always been looking for you to come on because I always love Jack in the Box. I always loved Del Taco. And I've, from the time I lived in California, I always thought you were the best bargain out there. And now I see why. And you're, I think you're doing many things right. I'm so glad you came on Man Money. All right, great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That's Darren Harris, CEO of Jack in the Box. I've got to tell you guys, I mean, look, I can't tell you to go visit one. I can tell you that the stock's real good. And money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer gets an inside read on D.C.'s efforts to enact crypto rules. The CFTC and your money, next. It's been a busy 48 hours for the Securities and Exchange Commission as they finally cracked down on two of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world. Yesterday, the SEC filed 13 charges against Binance and its founder, alleging a variety of securities law violations. Then today, they hit Coinbase with a more limited set of charges, causing the stock to plunge 12% in a single session. So what do we make of this long-awaited roundup of alleged bad actors? You know what I have to say? 
alleged. Ah, I, I got to say it anyway. Does the SEC have a strong case here, or can the crypto exchanges successfully fight the chargers? They sure have so far, I think. Can anyone clean up this ridiculously lawless industry? Let's check in with Tim Massett. He's the former chairman of the CFTC, who's now a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a research fellow at the Kennedy School of Government uh, and also an adjunct professor of law at Georgetown, who's become our go-to expert on crypto regulation. Mr. Massett, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. Okay, so Tim, this, to me, the Binance case, is really huge. Yes. I think this is going to shape the future of all crypto regulation. Can you please put the Binance case into some sort of um, context so we all sure. understand? Well, I think both cases will shape the future, sure. but particularly with Binance, the SEC is asserting that this trading platform should be registered as a securities exchange and a, and a securities clearing agency and a securities broker. You know, the problem has been these trading platforms don't operate under any real framework that ensures investor protection. And so there are huge risks of fraud and manipulation and conflicts, and that's a lot of what the SEC has asserted. Well, at one point, Tim, in the document against Binance, there's a, 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 a very top officer who says basically, hey, listen, we're running any yes. a curse word, non-compliance outfit. I mean, right. what more do you need? Right. Well, here's the issue. The question is, are the tokens securities or not? And the SEC in both these cases has asserted that really a large number of very prominent tokens, other than Bitcoin and Ether, are securities. That's really important. And that will be a, a centerpiece of this fight, if there is a fight in court, uh, that will determine the outcome. But why do we want Binance in our country? They, they do things like, uh, they, they, there are things... Uh, they watch the trades. Sure. They lost coins. They they, they double count. They, yep. There's no, they're, they're, you frankly can't, you can't value anything they're doing. You know, there's no assurance that other platforms aren't doing the same things, though, unfortunately. Wash trading, where essentially someone is trading with themselves or an affiliate to pump up the price or the volume of, of something, that's been estimated to account for 50 to 90 percent of the trading volume on these platforms. And there's no assurance that there's any procedures to prevent that. And these trading platforms, most of them do have their own proprietary uh, trading operations, which they shouldn't have. Well, look, Tim, I, I've known you for a long time. I've spent my entire professional life devouring financial statements. I'm trying to create my own brand of due diligence. When it comes to crypto, frankly, I cannot get it. I don't understand how anyone can assign a value to crypto, not after these cases. Sure. Um, and it seems predicated on what I think is just greater fool. Well, look, here's the issue. A lot of what goes on in the crypto world does just revolve around itself. You know, it's, it's a very interesting technology. The practical use cases that connect to the real economy, frankly, are still few and far between. Now, there are stable coins. That's a little different. Maybe NFTs, maybe other kinds of digitized tokens. The question is, how do we create a framework where that innovation can still take place and maybe lead to things of real value but protect investors at the same time. Well, isn't that what Coinbase is doing? What do you mean? Is that well, what I mean, they're Coinbase doing? Coinbase is trying to get there. They want their day in well, court. Well, they claim, yeah. They, but, you know, the industry says we need different rules. The securities rules don't work. And the SEC is saying those are the rules we have. So what could happen here? It's conceivable they could come up with a settlement, though pretty doubtful given the it positions is. of the parties. 
It gets fought out in court, and that could take a while. It's conceivable Congress could act, but you know, there's no real consensus in Congress on what the framework for regulation should be. But Binance, they're going after yeah. CZ. They're going to that. They're right. not going after Armstrong. But they don't, I have to tell you, when I read the end of the Binance complaint, I think that they feel there should be disgorgement. I think they feel there's genuine dishonesty. Right. Yes, that's absolutely right. In Binance, too, they're asking for asset freezes and injunctive relief. They don't appear to be asking for that in the Coinbase case. So, again, we'll have to see how this plays out. But, you know, I think the problem is it could take a while for this to play out, and we're still going to be without real good investor protection. Well, then how can anybody actually want to put their money to work in these things? There's you, commingling, actual commingling going on in Binance. That means that you could be, it could be Sam Bankman-Fried and you should have just known what come to the nuisance. You should have realized it. You have to understand that when you trade crypto, the risk isn't just about the token and the volatility of the token. It's also about the platform on which you're trading it. And so you've got to do your own due diligence and try to figure out which platforms do you think are at least operating with the greatest amount of integrity. One thing is certain, the commission did due diligence on Solano, on Cardano, on Meta, on Adam, on Sam. They made it very clear. These are, I'm not saying they're phony, but I'm saying that they're basically scams. They're scams. Yeah. Well, Well, no, they're not saying they're scams. They're just saying they're securities. And therefore, they're inherently difficult, how about difficult to value? Well, I think the value issue is difficult with crypto because again, a lot of these tokens, all the ones that are unbacked, it's really, you know, what does the market think they're worth, even though they're not really connected to anything underlying of real value. And again, the use case is not always clear. But, you know, I think the question is, can we create a framework that prevents fraud, prevents manipulation, ensures investor protection, and, you know, let people invest and see what happens. Why uh, doesn't an exchange just want to register, show you some clarity, and allow you to do what we all want, which is be valuable? The business model of these exchanges is inconsistent with the way our securities markets work. Why, though? Well, because they are more vertically integrated. And, you know, the question is, could they really change their business model to follow that. And they would also argue, look, the securities disclosure rules don't work. But for a what lot do of they have things. to fear? What we all want to school. What do they have to fear that they keep hiding things? Well, again, they're saying the laws don't really work given the nature of the tokens. And a lot of people in Congress, you know, might say the same thing. Even on the disclosure rules, some people would say, well, they're both over inclusive and under inclusive. But again, we need some sort of investor protection framework. I mean, that's why, you know, Jay Clayton and I have argued, let's put in an interim step, which is have the SEC and the CFTC mandate some common rules um, that ensure investor protection while we sort out these classification problems. I mean, one of the issues with the, with the model is, should you be able to trade Bitcoin and Ether, which let's say are commodities, on the same platform right. as other things? Now, under, you know, the SEC view, I don't think that would be allowed. But should, is that the model we want? So again, there are some questions about where do we really want to go, uh, but we've got to have much better investor protection. Yeah, definitely. I feel that this is just, it's so dangerous for people. It's just dangerous. Well, I want to thank Tim Massett. He's the former CFTC chair, and he really understands this stuff. And guys, there's much more risk here than most of the things we talk about on the show. If you understand the risk, 
then you understand you could lose a lot of money. Mad Money's back in. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski, that's time for the light round. Cranberries money. Let's start with Ginger in Ohio. Ginger. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. I'm retired now, but I'm an old Cudlow and Kramer fan. Jeez, skating me. What's yeah, going on? I'm, I'm old. Um, I bought a couple of your pipeline stock recommendations. I kind of like those. Um, last April, I bought into a little small cap pipeline stock that's building a pipeline through West Virginia. It's extremely politically a hotbed controversial. The company is Equitrans, symbol ETRN. Yeah, that's Senator Manchin's pipeline, and I think it still has a little bit more to go, but not that much more because it had a very, very big run off a $4 level. You caught a double, so I say take half off the table, let the rest run, and thank you for watching me for so many years. Let's go to Michelle in New York. Michelle. Hey, hi, Jim. Michelle, what's up? Um, do you think it's too late to get back into IDEX laboratories? Yes, I do. I prefer you to be in Zoetis. I think that's a better buy right here. Let's go to Johnny Massachusetts. Johnny. Booyah, Jim. And Martha's Vineyard here. We really want to hear your thoughts on Alibaba. Uh, Alibaba is the only Chinese uh, stock that I would be recommending. If you have to buy a Chinese stock, that'd be the one. I don't think you should, but that's the guy. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. My man Kramer, yeah. all is well with you, and thank you for making me make a lot of mad money. That's what I want to hear. Thank you very much. Let's go on. Let's go on. Let's work together. Yeah. Yes. Hey, look. When shopping, I always like to buy the best. And with tools, it's Snap-on Incorporated. Is it a buy? You bet it is. It's a great company. I think Finch has done a terrific job. The shorts tried to get them down a couple years ago. They failed. It's going higher. Kai in Michigan. Kai. Hey, Jim Jim. Yo, yo. Buckeye Booyah to you from Michigan. Good to have you. I have a question for you. Okay. Now a good time to connect with JBL. Um, at an all-time, at a 52-week high, no, I prefer to wait. Let's have a bit of a pullback, maybe a 10% pullback, and then you can pull the trigger. Let's go to Harash in South Carolina. Harash. Booyah to Dr. Kramer. First yes. time caller. And Fantastic. I would like to know a little bit more about Getty, G-E-T-Y. I'll tell you, it's a, it's a company that I didn't really think much of until, until frankly, Jensen Wong mentioned it as part of his AI revolution. So I think, you know what? Let's go to Michael, Minnesota. Michael. Hey, Booyah, Jim, and thanks for taking my call. Booyah, back. Hey, Jim, back in April, you endorsed this biotech company as a winner. However, we're concerned about its valuation. You know, since that time, they reported stellar quarterly results and raised their four-year guidance. What are your thoughts now on Shockwave Medical? Yeah, I was going over that one with uh, Ben Stoto the other day, saying, man, we got to go back to Shockwave Medical. I wish you could come down. We were too, uh, let's say, uh, cherry. It is a good stock. It goes higher. How about Brian in California? Brian. Hey, Jim, long-time listener, first-time caller. Actually, Excellent. met you at for RSA a few years back with your Mezcal. Love it. But uh, Plus four signing bottles this yeah, weekend, Saturday, Smithtown. What's up? My question is GE's been up 60% year-to-date. GE goes higher. Larry Cope is an amazing manager. The aerospace is great. Now even 
the uh, power generation business is good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, as a market, we keep getting oil wrong. Kramer has the secret sauce to make the barrels work for you. Next. A lot of people are puzzled that oil can't lift. That's because the commentators keep getting oil wrong. We keep thinking that OPEC or OPEC Plus can determine the price of crude. But that hasn't been the case for years. Right now, the price of oil is controlled by two countries, the United States and Russia. We're the largest producer in the world. Meanwhile, Russia's waging a war that's almost entirely financed by oil. Despite the sanctions, they've been able to send their oil anywhere, even surreptitiously to the United States, thanks to some extensive supply chain and accounting chicanery. We've always heard that Russia would need American technology to keep pumping a lot of crude, but that's wrong, too. In reality, Russia is an authoritarian dictatorship. They're never going to tell us the truth about how much they're producing. Obviously, the less they say they produce, the better it is for oil prices. But they have a huge amount of oil. They're pumping like mad. When you look at the truly pathetic reporting about OPEC Plus and the sole participant to cut production, the million barrel per day cutback from Saudi Arabia, it reads as a kind of a parody of the old days of the oil business. Those days are long over. We broke OPEC many years ago thanks to the shale revolution. Those in the know accept that oil prices are now sitting. Right here. We're seeing an explosion of technology that's bringing down the price of crude for our producers, particularly those in the Permian, starting with Exxon, where CEO Darren Woods just spoke last week about how he's bullish on tech boosting the shale recovery. Right now, we're about, I don't know, about 12.5 million barrels of oil out of the ground each day. That's going to go to 14 million rather soon, thanks to the technology Exxon's talking about. There's a lot of little winds, well, well lateral legs, going from two to three miles being the most advantageous. There's so many other ways the cost of production has come down that the very idea of crude holding in the $70 range seems like a, from a measly million barrels per day, it smacks more efficient than fat. Just consider the total cost of companies like Diamondback, $19.69 per barrel. Pioneer, $21.97. Devon, $23.10. Thank you, Rusty Brazil, for these numbers. Those prices are so low that even though they say they're limiting their production to return cash flow, the idea they can pump so much oil means OPEC can't put a dent in them unless we get something closer to a 5 to 10 million barrel per day cutback. That's never going to happen. So why do people still take these stories seriously? I think it's because we haven't gotten used to the new reality, where the OPEC cartel's broken and U.S. producers dominate the oil industry. I know there are tremendous aberrations domestically. Because of an inability to lay pipeline to the Northeast, it's possible there won't be enough energy coming to New England. But we're soon going to be able to export more than 2 million barrels a day in oil, big tankers, as well as meet our own needs via our own oil and what we import from Canada. That's what keeps the price down. That's why these stories focus on OPEC are just so darn stupid. And don't get me started on how cheap our natural gas has become. We have 100 years worth of stuff, and it's the lowest cost in the world. There's no OPEC for nat gas because it's so hard to transport overseas. We own the whole export market, basically, and we set the price, and that's what matters. So don't believe the Saudi hype. They can manage the golf world a lot better than they can manage the oil world. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last fall starts now. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. 
miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.